You talking to me? Two much-anticipated movies in the screening room this week with very different results. Welcome. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are taking a look at a couple big releases and at least one we can recommend this week out on video. And we're going to start with The Birth of a Nation. Your slaves sure do know how to behave. Well, they God, Finn. One of them's a preacher. People might pay good money to have them calm down a bit, especially by one of their own. What you think you're doing, boy? I asked you a question. You're done preaching for a little while. You learned your lesson, boy? Oh, yes. I've learned. The Lord's spoken to me. Visions of what's to come. The rise of good against evil. What are we gonna do? We'll fight. But once it begins, our brothers and sisters are joined. And we'll number in the hundreds, thousands even. You know, I think it's about time that there was a really great big screen adaptation of the Nat Turner Rebellion. Yeah, that's the thing. One of the words that has come up with this movie, as we've been looking forward to it, is controversial. And and It isn't. It, it isn't. No. Th- that's the thing. It's about a, a real, historical, legendary event in American history, a terrible event. It was but a, a fascinating but one. But a fascinating event, and yes, it's very timely with what's going on, the social climate right now, but it shouldn't be controversial. It's, it's, a, it's a story that, and, a, and a personality that absolutely demands a big screen uh, adaptation like this, and it is a, quite a, a labor of love and, and, and putting his heart and soul into this is first-time feature director uh, Nate Parker, known mainly as an actor, We've seen him in things like Red Tails. Beyond the Lights. Beyond the Lights. He uh, was one of the bad guys, spoiler, in uh, Nonstop with Liam Neeson. That's right. Uh, and he's had a bunch of parts and done fine. And this time, he's not only the director, he's the co-writer, he's a co-producer, and he is the star. And he stars as Nat Turner. And this is the story, uh, one viewpoint, of Nat Turner's rebellion. Uh, Nat Turner was a literate slave in 1830s Virginia. And in 1831, he led the rebellion that uh, got very bloody and ended up in 60 to 65 whites, men, women, and children were killed in this slave rebellion. And it's, yeah, as we said, it definitely deserves a look uh, on screen. And and I think as you alluded to, it's kind of a wonder that we haven't seen something like this beforehand. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a a very famous uh, historical event. And um, I do think that it's... um, powerfully told a little a little blunt uh you know not a lot of nuance but at the same time uh certainly not not a film that you pick a lot of nits with the way he decided to show things right it is very blunt and very raw but considering the subject matter it it works his his directing style is not a lot of nuance but it's very powerful he's got a lot of especially for a first-time feature director he's got a lot of confidence in his visuals and 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 what he's doing, and his pace, and uh, you, you tip your hat to him for that. And for the most part, almost all of it, it works. He does, since this is not a documentary, as we say every time we talk about one of these films, there are going to be poetic licenses taken. There just are. You can point to these historical dramas, and people say, oh, well, that's not, well, you know what? That's what happens in these movies. That's why it's not a documentary. So historians will have some things to quibble with, yes, but... From what I understand, the points the the points that he kind of takes the most poetic license they're they're understandable 
at the same time that they're debatable, uh, I think the main thing is it, it changes a lot of the motivation for the rebellion from a, a spiritual calling. Apparently, Nat Turner was a very, very spiritual uh, man. He was a, a preacher. He sold out his, his uh, master, Samuel Turner, who's played by Army Hammer, who's very good, by the way, in hard times, starts making money by selling his services, uh, Nat Turner's services, to neighboring slave owners so he can come and preach the word of obedience and calm down unruly slaves. So Samuel Turner makes money off this. And as it goes along, there are some attacks. There are some personal attacks uh, on slaves that that is what the movie really paints as Nat Turner's motivation for leading this rebellion. And he starts, as he says, singing a new song, so preaching a new word, and that where he says that for every Bible passage these slave owners can find to support their actions, he can find just as many to damn them to hell. And uh, it makes some very powerful points. And there are some tough scenes to watch, no doubt. They're going to be in a movie like this. And there, yeah, sh- there, and there, there should have be. to be. There have yes. to be. Um, so it's, uh, it's extremely powerful and, and well acted and, uh, very, as I said, confidently directed. And it's also one of the things he allows himself again, without giving away too much, but to say that he allows himself with some of the poetic license taken is to give a more dimensional undercurrent of religion and how religion can be used and misused, how it has been over the decades and over the generations leaned on for different reasons, mm-hmm. and uh, that is a very strong point uh, in this movie, and uh, and one that, again, where you can see changes that he made are debatable, but yet understandable. So you can't, as you say, picking nits. You know, you you can point out things, but it really doesn't hurt the film that much. And of course, right up front at the top of the movie poster is a brilliantly ironic twist. Is this the title alone? Right, Birth of a Nation which is uh, one of, you know, the most racist and celebrated films in American history. Yeah, basically it was a celebratory movie for the KKK. It was indeed. And uh, so it's not only a great ironic twist on that movie to kind of take it back, I guess, take that title back, but also it's a a reminder that, yeah, this nation, so much of it was built on the backs of slaves. Mm -hmm. It was built on slave labor. Mm -hmm. So it's a double meaning there, and I think, Really a nice little ironic twist. Maybe one of the the more subtle things in the movie that works. But the, it's, it's, it's so powerful. There are some just striking, striking images uh, in the movie. And um, again, I, don't, I wouldn't call it controversial. And of course, uh, in the climate that it's coming out, it's also being, being labeled an important film. But again, I don't think it's important so much because of the climate, but it's because of the diversity in filmmaking, the, the diversity in this, what seems to be a very talented new director's voice, and the fact that hopefully these types of movies will become more commonplace. I think that is what makes it more important. And yeah, I think celebrating uh, a, a new voice in filmmaking is a big deal. But also, you know, I think with uh, the controversy last year with so many white faces in the Oscar pool, you know, um, I just think uh, um, it's nice to know that really solid films w- with some exceptional talent in front of and behind the camera 
um, uh, and voices of color. It's just great to see that come out and to be positioned by Hollywood to come out in a time where it's likely to be considered for Holly for Oscar contention because, uh, you know, the fall and winter releases basically are the Oscar bait. So it's just it's it's great to see that this is being considered that. Yeah, and I and I hope if it does get some nominations, and I I wouldn't be surprised if it does. I hope it's not grouped in with one of those, you know, Oscar make goods because. It's worthy. Now, I'm not going to say it's not as good as Selma. It's not as good as 12 Years a Slave, but it is very good. And if mm-hmm. it were to garner some nominations, I don't think they would be they would be misplaced at all. No. So a strong recommendation for The Birth of a Nation out this week. Less and strong. Less strong is one that was uh, highly anticipated, mainly by readers of the book, and that is The Girl on the Train. I saw her. I saw her from the train. She was, she was with this man. Can you tell me where you were Friday night? I was in the city, and then I went to visit my husband. You mean your ex-husband? Why are you here? Because I'm helping find Megan. I don't think you're helping anybody. I read once that when a train hits, they can rip the clothes right off of you. How could you be so You were seen in the area that night. It was a hugely popular novel, incredibly popular novel, and again, the the screen adaptation takes some liberties. The first thing it did was move it from foggy London to New York, um, although our heroine still has her British accent. Emily Blunt stars. Well, right there, she's almost always good. Yeah, you cannot go wrong. And until until the, the last Huntsman movie, I thought she had chemistry with every single actor that was on she was ever on screen with. Now the Huntsman, that didn't happen. No. But she can always be counted on is to make people around her better. Yeah, she absolutely can. That's that is really, really true. And she can also anchor a film. I and and, you know, she's got a kind of a thankless task with this when she plays uh, you know, uh, the the narrative voice who's who's unreliable at best, mainly because she is just vodka adult, which is an, <laughs> but it's an interesting point of view. And it feeds into a story with just not just shifting points of view, but also it's a mystery. And because she's not sure what she saw because she was very, very drunk, you're not sure what she saw. So she's constantly trying to puzzle out what the actual mystery is and also what she remembers. So, it, you know, it, it and I'm sure fans of the book are are going to be disappointed for a lot of reasons. And if you didn't read the book, I feel like you're just going to spend the whole time going, God, this was dumb. Yeah, she rides on the train every day into New York, and she's kind of fixated on this one house that she sees and the couple that she sees just so conveniently all the time. Oh, look, they're always right out on the porch, and they're always seen clearly getting all frisky in the windows. It's just very convenient. Now, I know it does kind of make you think, well, is she really seeing this or is she imagining this? Or is it because part she's, of this, yeah, her imagination. Um, and she has a vivid imagination. She and does. she's living vicariously through these two. And what's interesting to the start is that it's really because two doors down was her house. Right. So she's like diverting her attention from the house that she passes every day that where her ex husband and his new wife and baby live. So I mean it is a it's a strong setup. And I'm and I and I imagine you know, as a book it's one of those sort of, you know, lurid page turners and and uh, and, and uh, you know, strong writing would really help. I have to say that the direction um, for this film doesn't do that 
mystery piece of it any justice. And and there are three female points of view in the in the novel, right? The girl on the train, as well as the new wife of the ex-husband, as well as the woman that she stares at out the window. But in the film, only one of those three people has a fleshed out character. The yeah. other two are just lifeless cogs in this mystery. Now, I didn't read the book, but I thought in watching this movie, oh, well, the author of this book must have been the author of Gone Girl. Uh, because <laughs> right. it really seemed very, like it was trying similar. to go there. Shifting time frame, shifting points of view. Uh, we and, don't want to give you give away much about the mystery itself, but even in the mystery itself, there are elements. They, they're turned upside down a little bit, yeah. but it's a lot of the same elements but as Gone Girl. The um, difference was in the direction. Oh, and, my and the, God, Because yes. in Gone Girl, when it turned, it turned with such a wonderful, wonderful streak of cynicism. Absolutely. That it really made the film, for me, that's when. Biting. If, if you remember watching Gone Girl, about half hour into it, we looked at each other and went, this sucks. Yeah. And then it made that turn. You're like, oh, ho, ho, no, oh, it's and, brilliant. Yeah, and I was well, all in. that is the difference between David Fincher and Tate Taylor. Yeah, Tate Taylor directs this. He directed The Help, which I know a lot of people love. I'm sorry we don't. It's not horrible, but it's not great. Uh, he also directed Get On Up, which I the story of James. You Brown. liked a lot. Better I liked than I it. Did. Well, I did think that especially the musical numbers in Get On Up were really, really well directed, uh, and totally a different type of movie than. Uh, and than a these great two. cast. A though. great cast. Get great On Up had a great cast, and you know that's part of the problem with this movie is I think it wastes a great cast. Yeah. Not just Emily Blunt, but I mean the entire supporting cast. Very, very strong actors, none of whom get much to do. Plus, again, without going into the to the mystery and spoiling anything, I pretty much figured out a lot of it in the first 10 minutes. Yes. And if you've seen a lot of movies or a lot of TV, sh you should be able to. It, well, it's, it's right there. And um, it's really, I don't think it's, it's well, you know, camouflaged. And it's just really so pulpy and trashy. I just felt like I was watching a... a um, a cable movie yeah. on some obscure exactly. channel with you know, a great cast. What's funny is that that pulpy, dark, chiclet can make for a good movie. Gone Girl, for example. Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, yeah. another Fincher example. Yeah. But but this just doesn't do it. It doesn't make the leap. It just feels like you're wallowing in sort of and just ugliness so, so for many the sake of, the, of ugliness. The characters' actions were just dumb. Yeah. And just didn't add up. So we were not fans no. of The Girl on the Train. And I know... Already, people I've talked to in the last couple of days since we've seen this movie are like, oh, yeah, bummer, because right. they like the book very yeah. much. So, uh, But, you know, see, see if you like the book, see what you think. But we were not fans of The Girl on the Train. And the one big uh, new release that we liked well enough on DVD and streaming is Swiss Army Man that came out earlier this year. And that is a, that's a weird movie. It is um, Harry Potter himself, Daniel Radcliffe. That's right. Basically plays a dead body. Right. And he is a friend to Paul Dano, who, who's always great, always great, and uh, stranded on a desert island. And he's just about to hang himself when he sees this dead body, and uh, suddenly becomes suddenly he has a new friend, right? And the friend has all sorts of these uh, strange abilities and strange ways to help him out. That's why he's called the Swiss Army Man, and it's incredibly weird. And it, I think, for me, the problem was. In the writing, it, it really thought it was speaking more than it was. It, it thought that it, this gimmick that it had was just so kitschy that it could overcome the writing shortfalls. And it almost does. But for me, it, you know, it has this score of celebratory, revelatory music where, look, we're speaking some grand illumination here, and they're, they're really not. It's just warmed over sentiments that uh, we've heard many times before. But the 
performances are great. The look of it is great, and it, it's it's original as all get out. So it is enjoyable. I just didn't enjoy it as a as much well, as, as I you think, hoped you would, as I hoped I would, or a lot of other people did. I think a lot of people really like this movie, and that's great. But I thought it was a little short on on the writing, and I think it had, it had really more to say than it than it really did, at least for me. And that is out on a DVD and streaming this week. So let us know what you think. If, you, if you've seen any of these or you're going to see any of these, uh, let us know. We're on Twitter. It's an easy way to hit us up. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. On uh, the Facebook, we're at Mad Wolf Columbus. And, of course, the main website is MadWolf.com. So what are we looking forward to next week? The Accountant. That Ooh, looks pretty the good. The Ben Affleck. Yeah, the Ben Affleck. He is uh, an accountant who's in the trailer. Is he's got a gun? He does. He has and a it's gun. And a Kendrick, right? Yes. So it's a good cast. Yeah. Well, I'm. You know, I'm not so big on him as an actor, but I love him as director. He's a great director. He didn't direct this though. Well. But Anna Kendrick is always good. Yeah, we shall see. Also, Max Steel, which looks like some sort of it's a superhero Iron Man movie, yeah. light kind of a thing, yeah. and then also a concert film that I'm looking forward to. Kevin Hart. It's called What Now or Now What. And I think Kevin Hart is just hilarious. Yes. And it seems like, from the trailer, it seems like it's a concert film with maybe some fantasy sequences nice. thrown in. So we'll see uh, see what that's about. And that that is next week. But for this week, it's a big thumbs up for The Birth of a Nation, a big thumbs down for The Girl on the Train. And uh, until next week, this is the Screening Room Podcast, presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and MadWolf.com. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner.